Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Upside Down, a verse-by-verse study of First and Second Thessalonians. Here's Pastor Nick. Please open with me in your Bibles to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians, it's kind of in the middle of your New Testament. Just look for 1 and 2 Thessalonians, find 1 Thessalonians, and then chapter 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to begin by reading our text, which comes from verse 12 all the way to the end of the chapter and the end of the book. So let's begin by reading that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idols, or the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but... Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is living and active. Lord, your word through which you speak to us. Now, Lord, may we hear what you have to say to us today through this passage. May we hear it. May we understand it. Lord, may we apply it to our lives. And may we, as a result, be changed and transformed by you as we read your word, as your spirit works in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in us. And Lord, may we receive it. May you uh, transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we're studying through Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, the first and second letters to the Thessalonians, our series has been called Upside Down. And so today we're finishing 1 Thessalonians. Next week we're going to begin right on the next page in 2 Thessalonians. But our series has been called Upside Down because when Christianity came to the city of Thessalonica, which is located in Greece. We read in the book of Acts about the time when missionaries came and they brought Christianity to the city. And what the people of that city, Thessalonica, said, they accused the Christians. They said, these people are turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down with their message, with their way of life. And they said, these people have come now to our town. They're going to turn our town upside down too. And they were absolutely right. They're absolutely right. See, that is exactly what Christianity did as it spread throughout the world. The good news of Jesus as it came into people's lives, as it came into communities, it absolutely turned those communities upside down one life at a time. And obviously the most 
amazing and wonderful ways because that is what the gospel always does. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you hand your life over to God, when you give control over to him, that's what happens. He turns your life upside down in all the best and most wonderful ways you can imagine. And so here in our study of these letters, what we've been focusing on are the things that Christians believe that are upside down from the way that the world generally tends to think and function. The things that are unique and different about Christians, the way that we live, the ways that we believe that are different from the way that the average person tends to think and operate. And recently, in our past few studies, we've been talking a lot about the unique way that Christians view death. And not just death, but also judgment, judgment day and the reckoning of God and all these things. And that's what we've been talking about in chapters 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And what we've seen is that the unique view that Christians have on death and judgment is this. We don't fear it. Rather, we anticipate it. We look forward to it. We embrace it. We can't wait for it. See, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul said this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I die, guess what? I win, right? Like, I win. Why? Because Jesus took the judgment that I deserve for the wrong things that I've done, and because of him, I can have the hope of eternal life after this life is over, the hope of heaven where there will be no more tears and no more pain, no more suffering, no more loss. Every tear will be wiped away. But now, here at the last part of this letter, Paul shifts, right? He shifts in what he's talking about. He shifts from talking about the end of our lives and what happens after we die and heaven and eternity and the return of Jesus. And now what Paul's going to talk about in this last section, you could call it this, until that day comes. In other words, what are we to be doing until that day comes? See, for each and every one of us, for each of you, there will come a day when your life here on earth will end. As we've seen here in 1 Thessalonians, either Jesus will return or you will die. But no matter what, there will come a day when your life will end, this earthly life. And the question is this, what are you to be doing until that day comes? As Christians, we look forward to heaven. We look forward to the return of Jesus. Paul the Apostle, he went this far to say this. He said, my desire is to depart from this world. He says, I want, my desire is to depart from this world and be with Christ because that is far better, he said. But here's my question for you. If heaven is so much better, like is that all the Christian life is? Is the, is the whole point of the Christian life, right, to just kind of get saved and get your ticket to heaven, and then for the rest of your life, you're just kind of biding your time and, and waiting, hoping for death to come and take you out of this cruel world, or for Jesus to return, whichever comes first? See, if that were the case, if, if Christianity is really just about believing in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die, and that's it, well then, let me ask you this, why not just help speed up the process. I mean, if that's all that this life is about, is just like waiting to get the heck out of here, well, then why not speed it up? Maybe you could take up smoking or you could stop wearing your seatbelt or you could give up wearing sunscreen or you could stand in front of your microwave while your food cooks. Like, uh, there are plenty of things you could do. You could sell both of your kidneys on the internet. Why waste your time exercising? If this life is just about getting out of here and going to heaven, then you should be doing everything you possibly can to get diabetes and have a heart attack so you can shorten your lifespan and just leave this cruel world ASAP and go to heaven and be with Jesus. In fact, I mean, let's take that to one step further. Now, it might be ridiculous, but hear me out. If the whole point of this life is just to get your ticket to heaven and then get out of here, well, then why not 
Go all the way and speed up the process. Why not just end your life right now so you can go to heaven and be with Jesus? Now, if you think that sounds ridiculous, just know this. That is something that actually did happen in Christian history. There were movements of people, particularly between the years of 200 and 400 AD, that actually did this, who believed that the most spiritual thing you could do, the ultimate expression of faith, the ultimate expression of love for God and desire to go to heaven, was actually to kill yourself. And this is something that happened. There was a movement called the Donatist Movement in North Africa. And it got so bad, right? These people thought, hey, if you're really hardcore, if you're really on fire for Jesus, then the ultimate act of faith, the ultimate expression of love for God and desire to go to heaven is to kill yourself and so you can go to heaven now. It got to be such a big problem with Christians actually doing this that Augustine, the early church father, had to write an official statement and say why it was not okay to do that. See, the Christian life is about more than just getting saved and then waiting to uh, die so you can go to heaven. You know, one day, the fact is your life will be over. But until that day comes, there's a whole period of time which is significant. It's called your life. And how you live it matters. It matters a lot to God. And it matters. It should matter to you. See, your life, the Bible would say, your life has a purpose God has a calling and a mission for you to pursue and to fulfill. And as Christians, right, the Bible doesn't just give us a unique perspective on death and judgment. The Bible also gives us a unique perspective on life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life. See, many religions, for example, like uh, Eastern religions, or you could say Islam is another one that falls in this category. They basically believe this, that this world is a bad place. And the purpose of life is to do everything you can, right? You've got a window of time, basically, in which you, can, you need to do everything you can in order to escape this world and go somewhere better, whether that's nirvana or paradise, right? In other words, the purpose of your life is to do everything you can in order to get out of here and go somewhere better. For the Romans and the Greeks, on the other hand, their view of life was a little bit different. Their view was that the purpose of life is enjoyment. That's the purpose of life. See, the Romans and Greeks were not so concerned about what happens to you after you die. For them, the purpose, the goal of life was to enjoy the good things that this life has to offer, whether that's physical pleasure or intellectual stimulation or building your character through hardship and and trials. See, they believed that the purpose of life was personal fulfillment and enjoyment. Now, of course, the only problem with that is, what if your life is not enjoyable? What if your life is not enjoyable and the whole purpose of life is to enjoy your life? Well, here's what they did, and I don't want to make this all about suicide, but uh, Greeks and Romans, it was very common for uh, Greeks and Romans to commit suicide. And why? Because they believed that the purpose of life was enjoyment and fulfillment, and therefore if you're not enjoying your life, then there's no point in going on living. And in fact, did you know that 40% of the city of Rome was made up with slaves who, guess what, weren't really enjoying their lives? And so they had to make a law in Rome that forbid slaves from ending their lives because it was such a big problem. But see, here comes Christianity, and it has a completely different view of life, a completely different view of life. According to the Bible, the purpose of your life is not to 
escape this world, nor is it for you to just live for your own personal fulfillment and enjoyment. And it is certainly not for you to earn your salvation, right? Because the message of the gospel is that salvation is a gift that God gives. It's not something that can be earned or deserved. It's something that we receive by faith. And so the question is, what is therefore the purpose of our lives? According to Christianity, the purpose of your life is something bigger than you yourself. It's something bigger than you. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. Something bigger than just your personal fulfillment. The purpose of your life is to know God and to carry out His mission in the world. That mission of bringing truth and love and justice and hope and redemption to a fallen and broken world. Did you know that there are certain things that you can only do in this life? There are certain things which you will not be able to do in heaven. That's what makes this life so special to us as Christians. For example, only in this life can you help relieve suffering. Only in this life can you help relieve suffering. And then only in this life can you share the good news of the gospel and help someone to trust in Jesus and become a child of God. Now, I was talking with Pastor Mike this week, and he was telling me about a phrase that he heard somebody say recently, and we were talking about how good this phrase was. And here's what the phrase was. He said, when we come to church, we come in to praise, and we go out to worship. Think about that. We come in to praise, and we go out to worship. The idea there is that as Christians, we believe that we worship God by the way that we live our lives. In other words, our lives matter. They matter, and we worship God by the way that we live our lives. And so in 1 Thessalonians, here at the end, Paul gives us our marching orders for what we are to be about, what we're to be thinking about and doing until that day comes when God takes us home. And there are three big things that we see here. You can break it into three big ideas, and here's what they are. Number one, get competitive. Get competitive. I'll explain. Number two, keep the fire burning. And number three, never lose sight of the gospel. So let's talk about those. In the first couple of verses, verses 12 through 15, he talks about getting competitive. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says something really interesting. He says, love each other with brotherly affection. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's the language of competition, right? Outdoing each other one-upping each other. He's encouraging them. Act like you're in a competition with each other for who can show the other one more honor, right? That's the competition going back and forth, right? Imagine if your relationships functioned this way. Imagine a marriage that functioned like that, right? The husband is honoring the wife and the wife is like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to outdo you and I'm going to honor you even more. And the husband's like, no, you're not. I'm going to honor you even more than you honored me. And they just keep going back and forth, right, in this upward spiral of honoring and respecting each other. You know, what if your work relationships were like that? What if your family functioned that way, right, rather than tearing each other down, rather than getting, uh, you know, 
What if you got competitive about honoring one another, speaking well of each other and one-upping each other in that, showing respect? See, rather than being critical or snarky or judgmental, what if we acted like we're in a competition to constantly outdo one another in showing honor? I'll tell you what, if we did that, a church would be an irresistible place. It would be so attractive. You know, think about what kind of environment that would be for your kids to grow up in. What a safe place that would be for hurting people to come into. They would know that they would never have to worry about people judging them or talking bad about them. They would be able to come in and be built up and honored and loved and encouraged. See, Paul gives us some instruction also in these following verses as to what that looks like. Like, how should we do that? How should we honor one another? And I'm going to sum it right it like this right in these verses he says honor up honor down honor all around you guys can do the hand motions right honor up honor down honor all around right so let's start honor up verses 12 and 13 he says this we ask you brothers respect those who labor among you and are over you in the lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work see as christians god wants us to honor our leaders, honor those who he has put over us, the leaders. Um, and, and so why are we to honor them and esteem them highly? He says in verse 13, not because they're better, but here's why. Because verse 13, because of the work that they do. In other words, because of the work they do and how significant it is for you. In verse 12, he refers to the leaders in their fellowship. He refers to them as those who labor among you. In other words, they're, they're identified not by their uh, title, they're identified by their actions. They're identified by the fact that they labor and they work on behalf of people. And in other words, here's the, here's the principle. True leadership is not about having a title or a position. True leadership is about serving people. We see that with Jesus. He modeled that. He taught that to his disciples. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that they should give honor to those in the church who labor in preaching and teaching. See, all, in all of life, we want to give honor where honor is due. We want to honor those who are over us, whether they're civic authorities or police officers, whether they're crossing guards or teachers. We want to honor parents. We want to honor those who are above you in the org chart at work. See, honor elevates and dishonor tears down it pulls down so honor elevates and dishonor pulls down and in the church we believe in honoring those who God has put in leadership over us whether that's a ministry leader that you serve under or whether it's a leader of a community group that you belong to and maybe you say well you know I don't think that person deserves honor like I don't think they they're worthy of my honor well I just want to remind you nowhere in the Bible are you instructed to tear people down in order to cut them down to size. Like nowhere are you going to find that. But we do have this, elevate people, right? Honor people, show them honor because of what they do. It never tells us to tear people down. And here's what I believe is true. I believe that how you respond to leadership says more about you than it does about the leader. I'm going to say that again, really important. How you respond to leadership says more about you than it does about the leader that you're serving under or that you're, you're under. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 12. He says, those who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. So he identifies the leaders in the church in two ways. Number one, they're those who labor and work on your behalf. And number two, they're those who admonish you. Now what does admonishing mean? Admonishing means to correct someone gently. Gentle correction. See, part of the role of leaders in the church is to gently correct you when needed. 
And one of the ways that you can honor those who God has put over you is not only by acknowledging their work and receiving it, but here's another way, by allowing them and receiving those gentle corrections, those admonitions when they come. See, God uses leaders in our lives to help us get to the places that we can't get on our own. Even leaders who are subpar leaders, right? Like God uses leadership in our lives to help us get to the place that we can't get on our own. And I recently heard this story about Troy Aikman. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm talking about this Sunday. So let me tell you the story. Troy Aikman, right? He's a former NFL quarterback. Uh, Troy Aikman, right? One of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Just a few stats. He was the number one overall draft pick in the NFL draft when he came out of college. Number one overall draft pick. He played 12 years in the NFL for the Cowboys. He was a six-time Pro Bowler. He has three Super Bowl rings. He was even the Super Bowl MVP. He was elected to the NFL Hall of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame. He's one of the best players to ever play the game. Now, here's what Troy Aikman said. He said, I owe most of my success to my willingness to listen to my coaches. Let me just say that again. He said, I owe most of my success not to my talent, he said this, to my willingness to listen to my coaches. And here's what he said. I found this fascinating. He said, in my entire career in both college and the NFL, I never threw a single pass, not a single pass that wasn't critiqued afterwards. It wasn't critiqued. It's, in other words, he plays this entire game. He wins the game. He wins the Super Bowl. And then they go in the room, right, on Monday morning, and they watch the tape, and he's got some coach, right, who's probably, like, overweight and out of shape. And he's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. You should have taken three steps instead of five, right? And he's, like, critiquing his pass. And he's like, well, you got lucky on that one. Every single pass he ever threw got critiqued afterwards. Here's a guy who's one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived, and he never threw a pass that wasn't critiqued. Every time he threw the ball... They would tell him what he needed to do better. Now think about that. Were those coaches better football players than Troy Aikman? No, not even close, right? Some of those guys probably couldn't even throw a football to hit a barn. Now, why were they coaching him? Why? Because they were the coach. And Troy Aikman says that a lot of his success, most of his success, wasn't due to raw talent. It was due to his willingness to listen to his coaches and receive and implement the corrections that they told him to make. Talk about humility, right? Talk about honoring up. Talk about not being too proud to receive correction. You see, to have a teachable spirit will take you farther than raw talent ever will. So may we be those who have that kind of teachable spirit. May we be those who honor up, who esteem highly those who labor for our good, who God has put above us and honor them and esteem them because of their work on our behalf. But we don't just honor up. We also honor down and we honor all around, right? So let's talk about that. He says in verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. In other words, you can't paint with a broad brush when it comes to people. There are different people who need to be ministered in different ways. And he lists three groups of people. But I want you to notice this. Who's he talking to here? Is he talking to the leaders? No, he's talking to everybody in the church. And what he's saying is, you guys, this is you. It's not, you know, there are leaders, but it's you also have a responsibility to minister to other people in the church. We have a responsibility towards one another in the congregation. And so what are we called to do? Well, first he tells us, admonish the idol. The word idol in Greek refers to somebody who didn't show up for work. 
right? Somebody who's like, you look in their office and they're not there. It's a no call, no show. That's what this word means. Admonish these people who are not showing up. This is the person who has opportunities to serve the Lord with their time, their talents, or their resources. There's a community group that they could join. There's a way that they could get involved, but they're idle. They're stagnant. They're not doing anything. They're not showing up. And we are to show brotherly love and honor by doing what? Admonishing these people, gently correcting them and calling them out of their complacency, calling them out to get engaged and take that next step with the Lord. Next, Paul says, he talks about the faint-hearted, right? So a faint-hearted in Greek, this word literally means a person with a small soul, a person with a small soul. And what it refers to is somebody who has gone through some sort of hardship or difficulty in their life, and their soul has shrunk, if you will. Their courage is small. Their strength is small. And we're called to come alongside the faint-hearted and hold them up to lend them our strength. You know, like you can imagine if you're, if you're on a trail hiking, you come across somebody who's fallen down and, and hurt themselves, or you're, you, know, you see an athlete who's injured. What do you do? You go over, you, know, you put their arm around your neck and you help them stand up again. You let them use you for support so they can limp forward and take that next step. You help them recover until they get their strength back. That's what he's talking about. Finally, Paul says, help the weak. Now, here's what's interesting. Help the weak. He's not talking about those who are weak physically. He's talking about people who are weak spiritually and morally, morally weak. That's interesting. So this is the person, for example, who has put their faith in Jesus, but they're still struggling with an addiction, maybe, or a behavior, or some sort of sin that they keep... You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.